0: morning. How many of you did your homework? You read Judges chapter 3. Great. One of our school teachers did not do their homework. Fantastic. Good job, Mrs. Weinshank. Hey, Judges chapter 3. We're going to go back to verse 1. We're going to kind of move forward. We're possibly going to make it all the way up to verse 11 today. Maybe. We'll see what happens. Judges chapter 3, excuse me, uh, verse 1. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as before uh, knew nothing thereof. I mentioned this last week. One of the reasons that God actually allowed all of these, if you will, wicked nations, these worldly nations to stay in place is the generation that's left after Joshua, most of them had never known war. Right? This is the, the generation with Joshua. That would have been the group that had been the, the oldest of the population. These are the people that they may have been from about 20 and below. Most of them had seen the Red Sea parted, they had seen the Jordan River parted, they had seen Jericho fall. They had actually been part of that conquering group. They've all passed off the scene, and this is now their grandkids. The Bible gives this indication. This is almost 40 years after they've been in the promised land. So this would be their grandkids. We're talking an entire generation removed from war. So he leaves these wicked nations, which he's about to name them all here in verses 3 and 4. He leaves all of them. Why? And it's actually directly stated here in verse 2, to teach them war. How are these people supposed to know how to defend themselves? If they've never had to defend themselves, look at my generation, my generation, maybe two to 5% of them have ever actually experienced war because of Afghanistan and Iraq and that other stuff. Two to 5% of my generation, the generation coming up after me, what, maybe less than 1%, the extent of war that they understand is like Call of Duty on Xbox, and you respawn and come back to life it's Fortnite. every 20 minutes there's a new game and you get a new life and your character as a mohawk they don't understand war why do you think they're against war because they don't understand war look at the 1960s they were against war why because they'd never grown up they didn't understand war that's the generation that god's got right now and he's like You guys got to learn a couple things here. And unfortunately, based on your track record, you're going to have to learn this the hard way. Okay? And how did he know that track record? They've been his people for a long time. He didn't abandon them for 400 years in Egypt. He was there the whole time. He was watching. He was waiting. And he'd also watch them wander the wilderness and complain. He fed them with angel food and quail that flew at waist level by the way have you ever thought about that miracle for just a split second on a weekly basis quail flew at waist level and you just like whack them that would have been awesome <laughs> that would have been so fun i would have i would have thoroughly enjoyed meat day or whatever they called it i don't know mm-hmm. hey but these people are going to have to learn because think about it for for generations literally for now three generations god has been supplying m- huge miracles over and over and over again and they keep going backwards every time. So he's, we're going to teach you something, but it's not going to be a fun lesson to learn. How many of you, at some point in life, you've learned a lesson the hard way due to your own idiocy, eh? right? <clears throat> I know, we're not supposed to say idiot. We are, okay? And we learn those lessons. Well, the children of Israel are about to learn that about 13 times in a row. The same way, over and over and over again, and Unfortunately, they still didn't learn it very well. Let's keep going here in verse three. Namely, five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites uh, which, uh, that dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon unto the entering in of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. And I find it a little bit interesting. I didn't mention this last week, but God directly lists the people that they left behind. Five lords of the Philistines. You realize that that first group right there becomes a thorn in the side of Israel for the next roughly six to seven hundred years? Does anybody know when they finally stop becoming a pain to Israel? Under Solomon, literally about six, maybe seven centuries later, these people finally stopped being a problem. God's naming all of them. I want to pause for a split second on this one thought. We're three weeks into the new year. I didn't raise my hand on the Bible reading calendar because I typically, I stopped following one of these a couple years ago, mostly because, like many of us, I get off by a day or two and that messes with my OCD and then I never catch back up. So I have taken the last few years to reading by subject material. The last three months, I've read the book of Judges over a dozen times. Why? Because I'm going to be teaching the book of Judges. I need to understand the book of Judges. It's a fairly logical thought. And then I tie in, where's this guy's name pull up in other places in the Bible? Does he happen to have anything here? Is that place of significance? And I start pulling Bible study all over the place. And by the way, your whole Bible is interconnected because it was written by one dude. One God, I should say, not a dude. I apologize. Wrong word. Okay. <laughs> it all makes sense there. But with that said, we're in the new year. Everybody just, did did anybody set New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Okay, like three of us. Most of us are old enough, we're like, "Mm, yeah. (laughs) I gave those up for Lent, okay? Um, (laughs) Whatever that may be. But this time of year, uh, most of the world starts setting New Year's resolutions. I've gone to the gym lately. I hate our gym this time of year because it's all these like 18 year old guys that think they're ripped because they have a six pack and 8% body fat while they eat, you know, six cheese pizzas for lunch. You have a metabolism, you're not strong. And then they just sit there on Instagram their whole workout and they take up all the stuff I need. I don't like those people, but they're New Year's resolutioners. Give it about what, three more weeks and they're all gone and I can have all my machines back and stop complaining about them. But here God gives us a list of bad things. Five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, and the Sidonians, and the Hivites, and then he goes on to explain where all these people live. You ever thought about this? As Christians, typically we focus on count your blessings. The list God gives here is literally the opposite of that. In order to defeat the enemies we have in our lives, have we ever ever thought about making a list of the things we know we do on a regular basis that God doesn't like and then ask God to help us get rid of it? Hmm. That'll mess with your head for a split second. Well, I'm not going to dwell on that. And you're going to keep doing that sin over and over again. I'm not a name it and claim it kind of guy. That's Joel Osteen junk. I don't do that stuff. Does God have the power to help you defeat your besetting sin? Lay aside your weight? Yeah, he's got all that power. Have you ever thought about just making a list, checking it twice? Because you've been really naughty and not very nice. And asking God for help defeating that so that you can be a better Christian. So you can move on. So you can conquer what's messing with you. So that you can be stronger and therefore Maybe help somebody else. You ever thought about that? That's literally the list God's giving here. And unfortunately, the children of Israel weren't bothered by this. In fact, we know they weren't bothered by this because jump into verse 5. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. They dwelt among. So we've gone from chapter one, verses one and two, where we're going to go conquer. Judah and Simeon are called out by God. They're going to go conquer. They're going to kick everybody out. They're going to do exactly what Joshua had commanded them to do, to coming up against an unstoppable enemy near the middle of chapter one, where they had chariots of iron. And instead of asking for God's help to continue in this level of defeat, they just decided to stop. And here we are, a chapter and a half removed which in, in the entire timeline is maybe just a couple of years removed. And they're dwelling among the people they were supposed to be kicking out. It's no longer they dwell in our land. It's their land. We just happen to be in it. Do, do you get how far this has changed? And it goes even farther. Look at verse 6. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and serve their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. They've gone so far as not just dwelling among this group of people the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now they're family. You can't fight family like that. You can't conquer and kick out and utterly destroy family. Because unfortunately, one thing that the Jewish people have going for them, even in this era, family was very important. Read through your Old Testament. Family was massively important to these people. Why? Because family was their first ministry. That was the part that they were commanded by God to take care of. Unfortunately, they chose to marry into some families God warned them not to. And now they can't follow God's command because their family... And that led into straight up apostasy because look at verse 7. Did evil in the sight of the Lord. Why? Verse 6. Served their gods. They opened up a door that they couldn't easily close. Jesus actually directly talks about this concept. Go to Mark chapter 10 with me. Mark chapter 10. This, this intermarriage, the, un, if you will, ungodly romance, this infatuation, this connection with the world becomes a big problem. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 29. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath house, have left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands. That's, a, that's an exhaustive list, by the way. For my sake in the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the world to come eternal life. This, this, by the way, this simple set of verses, this is repeated in, I believe, three out of the four gospels that in order to do right, we may have to give up some of the things we love. In order to do right, we may have to give up some of the things we love. And in this list, that includes family. The Israelites, if we go back to Judges chapter 3, they clearly weren't willing to do that. They weren't willing to do that in the slightest. But I love the fact that in verse 30, though, of Mark chapter 10, if we are, in fact, willing to give up all of this massive list, house, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands, you realize that, by the way, that list is all-encompassing at that point? That is, that is just about everything that you could have, if you will, possession of. Everything that you could love. If we're willing to give that up for God, look at what he says. But he shall receive an hundredfold. Count your blessings. God always gives you back way more than you gave him. Every single time. He promised the Israelites a land flowing with milk and honey. But at what cost? they had to conquer the land. You realize for the next four centuries of Israel's history throughout this book of Judges, they didn't really get to experience that land flowing with milk and honey. They experienced destruction, death, servitude, slavery, exorbitant taxes, famine, over and over and over and over again. Why? Because they weren't willing to give up what they needed to for God. We want all the blessings, but most of the time we're not willing to actually give up what God asks us to give up. And that goes back to, are we willing to make one of those lists of all the things that we know is a problem in our life and ask God for help? Can you go with me back to Judges chapter 1? Judges chapter 1, verse number 2. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up, behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. We've simplified this phrase, by the way, in the 21st century to God's got this. He's got it all anyways. He's got it all figured out. All we got to be willing to do is to follow his path, to do what he asks us to do. And sometimes that means giving up some things. But that's the rough part for us. Okay. I, I, I'm our family, avid readers we read a lot when I was a kid one of my favorite series dad gave me was the Lord of the Rings series I've read all of the books three or four times huge fan and there's one little creature in there Gollum and he's got that ring he's precious that's how we treat the junk that we know God doesn't like but that, that one's mine I I mm. And anybody wants us to give that up or any pastor says, give that up because God will bless you. No, that's mine. So you're saying you're okay with being compared to a scrawny little cave dwelling creature that nobody wanted to be around and tried to murder things because that's what you are. And I know that's not Bible, but unfortunately it kind of is. If we're willing to give up, some of those things by the way you realize the list in mark 10 isn't bad things family's important but is it more important than god your house is important you need somewhere to live but is that more important than god the last one here by the way or lands that's a pretty generic idea of just your stuff is your stuff More important than God. Because unfortunately the Israelites in Judges chapter 3, they chose their stuff. They chose their lands. They chose their family over God. And instead of being blessed a hundredfold, they got cursed over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because they made the wrong decision. We still do this exact same stuff every day. All the time. And then we wonder, God, why aren't you blessing me? But we have a whole list of things we're hanging on to. And we're dwelling amongst the land instead of being that light in the darkness. We've let the darkness seep into us. God can't bless that. I I know, I've gotten off track and I'm sorry to meddle in your life, but it's the Bible. Go back with me to Judges chapter three. By the way, a prime example of this This concept of this intermarriage leading into serving other gods is none other than Solomon himself. Solomon was a mess. 300 wives, 700 concubines, something like that. I think I might have gotten that backwards. He got the guy just crazy. Now, if you do some history on that, a, a personal belief, this is some bishology here. At least half of those wives did not live in Jerusalem. They were purely political come in there'd be a ceremonial marriage why because they were afraid of solomon attacking them because he had the largest army in the world at the time and then the that that wife would then go home with dad there's actually historical evidence of that repeatedly including by the way the bible's record of the queen of sheba okay she would have been part of that list but solomon was a mess and the bible directly tells us that his wives led him into the worship of other gods are we okay You realize that this example, unfortunately Solomon was following the example of generations before him. Well, my kids will do better than me. They'll make better choices. Where are they learning to make their choices from? They have 13 generations worth. Pay attention to how these judges worked. They're broken up over 13 generations. And are we surprised that Solomon took that and copied it to a massively exaggerated level. He was just living up to example of what's been done before. Our kids are going to copy what we do. And unfortunately, pastors said this for years, they don't just copy what we do, they take it to an exaggerated level every time. Well, if mom and dad can do that, then a mind can go a step further, right? That's not that big a deal. And then we got whole generations of kids that aren't in church, don't know about God. Choate, it's right down the street from us. It's one of the most expensive high schools in America. Last I checked, it's about sixty-three thousand dollars a year to go to high school. By the way, that's more than Yale. To go to high school, Judo you know Choate was the first Christian school in Wallingford. They were Baptist Christian school they don't even have classes on God anymore. They do have a chapel. I will say that. They have a chapel and they have a service and they basically, you can actually tune into their live stream. I wouldn't suggest it. We have a great live stream. Watch ours. Hi, everybody at home, okay? Um, But they basically tell you that God loves you no matter what and you can do anything you want because God loves you and that's what God's all about is just love. Friends, I'm pretty sure God doesn't like our sin. You don't get into heaven if you've got sin. Are we okay? So we got to get that figured out. Judges chapter three, I'll stop there for a moment, okay? Judges chapter three, look at with me uh, verse number seven. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. We did talk about this a couple weeks ago, Balaam and the groves, that includes the worship of Ashtoreth, Um, who was supposed to be Balaam's wife, Um, okay? And the groves implies, this is literally, it's a physical area. They would plant trees, a lot of times, um, either evergreen trees or specific types of fruit trees that they would use in these groves groves. Um, and this included all kinds of sacrifice all the way up into human sacrifice in a lot of instances. Um, most of the time, most of the time, uh, the worship of Balaam and Ashtoreth, if it did include human sacrifice, it was usually children, babies uh, under the age of two. Uh, awful stuff. So they, they've gone so far as to not just like bow down to a statue. This wasn't offering, you know, you know, a coffee cake to a tiny little Buddha statue, not a bowl of rice. This is, they're offering people that they're actually sacrificing people to this and god gets upset with that god puts a premium by the way on human life very much so but he's also if you could ever pick a negative aspect of god which you can't by the way is that he's a jealous god he demands worship solely and alone no other gods besides me Look at verse eight. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And this is about where we left off last week. And he sold them into the hand of Cushan rishathaim king of Mesopotamia, and the children of Israel served Cushan rishathaim eight years. Mentioned this last week. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Can you imagine making God so mad that the term is hot? he's, He's that angry with you. And he sold them. I, don't, I cannot give you any indication what that means outside of what, what did God get in return? When you sell something, don't you usually get some money in return for that? Hey, I sold an old iPhone. I, I made $400 when I sold the old iPhone. Guy hands me money. I hand him phone. That's what a sale is. Are we okay? God sold them. What did God get in return for this sale? You ever thought about that? I can't give you an answer. I don't have a clue if you know please tell me afterwards cuz i don't know anywhere in the bible where there's like a bill of sale or receipt in here where god's like i'll give you these people for 8 years if you give me by the way that sale did not work out well for Cushan-Rishathaim okay if you read forward he dies at the end okay so not a good sale on his part but Cushan-Rishathaim by the way that is not all of his that is not all a first name I did a little bit of digging on this this last week. Uh, the Bible is a historical book and it has been proven historically accurate over and over and over again to the point where even the modern day world, they will recognize that the Bible, especially the Old Testament is accurate. Kushan rishathaim is listed nowhere else in human history outside of your Bible, but he's still recognized as a real person. Why? Because the Bible's accurate. Kushan rishathaim Again, not his first name. That would have been a real bummer to learn in kindergarten, okay? Um, that would have been real rough, all right? Kushan is actually his first name and more than likely his only name. Read through your Old Testament. Most people in the Old Testament only really had one name. We okay? That was just a very common practice. The idea of the last names that we have today are typically derived from the job that we had. We have a Ed Smith. Smith would have been somewhere in the family, would have been probably a blacksmith. Okay. Johnson was literally the son of John. We're really original with that kind of stuff, okay? Um Weirdly enough, about half of the people in America that have the name Brown, Black, or White as a last name, they got that at Ellis Island because the people working there didn't know how to didn't understand their language and picked the picked the name based on the color of their skin. Here's a weird one to throw that for a loop though. There are more people with the last name White in America who are actually black than anything else. Yeah, we messed everybody up, okay? Our last name, Bish, doesn't exist past some point in Ellis Island. I've done some homework on it. It is likely a derivation of bishop, which means at some point (laughs) we're probably Catholic. I don't know, hey? uh, Catholics aren't supposed to get married and have kids, so it got real jacked up somewhere, okay? Um, But most of our last names, they only exist because at 8 billion people, it's a little more helpful to have multiple last names and derivations of names in the Bible. You just had one name. So we have Kushan. So what does Rishathea mean? It means king of two governments. King of two governments. If you want to jot that down, that's an odd little note to throw in there because the Bible calls him king of Mesopotamia. If you know anything about ancient history, Mesopotamia was a relatively crescent-shaped area of land, more than likely, by the way, where the original Garden of Eden would have been. Okay. And that area of Mesopotamia, again, crescent shaped, roughly half moon type or crescent moon shape. The idea of two governments more than likely meant at the tip of both of these, he had a very large city state at the tip of each of those. And then he controlled all the area of land in between that. Does that make sense? By the way, as a crescent shape, he controlled from here, and it curved down to here. But all this land in the middle, that was Israel. He surrounded them on both sides. The first enemy God picked for them was perfectly suited for the job. Why? Because he's God. He knows what he's doing. And he could control them from top and bottom, and they had nowhere to go. Why did they have nowhere to go? Because on this side... That's all his people. What's on this side of Israel? It's called the ocean. Mediterranean, you can't really run away. Jonah tried it, it didn't work, okay? So God positions Cushan rishathaim king of two governments, king of Mesopotamia, as the person to take over, and he takes over here for about eight years. I'm almost done. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord... They're under servitude under this king. They cry out to God, God, we're sorry. I, I need, we need your help. Can, can you read this like, like a modern day person? Read this like a whiny eight-year-old. Quite, quite realistically, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, God, we're sorry. Are you, do you still love me? Think about it. That's exactly how we act to God. Just like our kids act to us when they get in trouble. And the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel. Because God's always good. Even when we're not obedient, even when we don't do right. In fact, even when we do the exact opposite of what he wants, he's still always good. He raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them. Even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. We're not going to go into a lot of detail here on Othniel, But we've already been introduced to him. Remember, he married Caleb's daughter. How did he get the ability to marry Caleb's daughter? Going back to Joshua. Anybody remember? Whoever took that mountain, Caleb at that point would have been quite old. And he's like, hey, we got one more mountain to conquer. And I don't want to do it. So anybody that does it gets to marry my daughter. And he's like, "Ooh, she's hot. (laughs) Bible does tell us she was beautiful. So, I mean, that's fair. She's also his cousin, which makes it a little more weird, okay? Um, But he conquers the mountain, gets the daughter. We've also learned about her. She's a bit of a spitfire of her own, okay? Because dad gives her inheritance among her brethren, which was highly abnormal. And then she goes and says, hey, I actually want more. And he's like, all right, whatever you want, honey. Gets it. This guy, I, I looked up Kenaz. There's not a lot of information on Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. But we can know, based on Caleb and Caleb's testimony, at this point through about 65 years of Israel's history, Caleb was a good man. In fact, Caleb may have been one of the best Israelites of that generation. And if Othniel was able to marry his daughter, gives us some indication that Othniel loved the Lord, he followed the Lord. No matter what the rest of the people are doing, that God always has this remnant left behind that are doing right. Remember, Elijah's like, I'm the only one left. And God's like, uh, no, you're not. There's a whole bunch of others that are doing right just besides you. They're just being quiet about it, and you're being obnoxious and crying. <laughs> the rest of the people, they're intermarrying. They're serving other gods. They're doing what's wrong. God punishes the people. So who does he pick out of? The remnant to save the people, and that's Othniel. And I want you to mark verse the very beginning of verse 10 because this phrase is going to come up over and over and over again throughout the book. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Mark that phrase. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him. That phrase becomes a key for almost every judge throughout the rest of this book. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him. It's giving us the indication right here, right off the bat, that this wasn't about the person. It was about them being a vessel for God. Because they couldn't have done it on their own. Othniel was a great conqueror. He'd conquered a mountain full of giants just to get a girl. But he couldn't defeat this king without God. We we can't defeat our enemies. To go back to the list I talked about earlier, we have no ability to defeat our enemies without the spirit of the Lord. And he lives inside us. That's the beautiful part about the covenant we have with God now is we always have that spirit of God with us. Whether or not we're allowing him control, that's a different story. And we have to make that choice on a daily basis. Othniel here, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Cushan Rishathaim. And the land had rest 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So they were in servitude for eight years, and now have rest under Othniel's leadership for four decades. And where we're going to pick up at verse 12, the cycle starts right back over. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Everything, thank you for everything you've done for us. Lord.